Our gracious Father, we are very thankful to be here tonight, and we thank you so much that the Collins have graciously not just opened up their house, but allowed us to have a kind of a campfire in the back here to use their backyard to just enjoy time together. Father, thank you so much for this time, this opportunity to um, come around your word and to talk about a very, very important subject that relates directly to that. And I pray, Father, that you would give us insight and that you would give us clarity and that you would give us... Um, conviction about these kinds of things and and allow our discussion to be fruitful and edifying to you uh, for your glory and for your honor in christ name we pray these things amen well tonight what we're going to do is we're going to discuss the subject of how do you read your bible how do you study the bible like it, what how should you do that why is it important all that kind of stuff so uh in our topic of unstained i thought this was an important one to bring up because really everything we've been talking about up to this point is would fall flat on its face if we don't actually know how to study the Bible. Because now we, like, we actually don't have a, a frame of reference to be able to live unstained lives if we don't have a Bible that we can understand and, and, and know how to read, okay? So, you know, I don't know how much, how familiar you are with with what it means to study the Bible or, or not at all. But I think, you know, there's, there might be a conception of thinking, well, isn't it just reading and stuff like that? Like, it's not that hard. It, there's a lot more to it than that. And so we need to have this talk. Um, and just by way of uh, example and illustration, um, let me describe for you a quick little story of something that I was, came, in, came into contact just to recently, actually. Uh, I had someone ask me just recently, and I'm kind of paraphrasing just a little bit here, but uh, they asked me, James, how do you learn how to love God's Word? How do, you learn, how do you learn how to love God's Word? How do you enjoy it? He says, because every time I sit down and I open my Bible and I read it, it seems boring. It seems cold. It's stiff. And I feel like I'm just kind of going through the motions. So how do I actually learn to love God's word. And I appreciate this question because I've been in this guy's shoes before. I know what it's like. I know what it's like to come to the Bible and feel nothing, okay? I, I know what it's like, um, I know how hard it can be to do your devotions or your quiet times or kind of whatever you want to call it, and, and to do them in a way that you just, you don't know what, you don't know what you're doing. And, and, and you don't enjoy it. And so I appreciate, this, I appreciate this question, and I appreciate it because I know how difficult this is for you. I know. I've been in your shoes. I know this is a struggle. I know it's hard to get up every morning to open your Bible, and not just to read it, but to enjoy it, and to love it, and to be excited about it. That's hard, especially at your age. It's extremely challenging. And so... This subject is one that is very close to home to you, and it's one that we need to talk about, okay? So, um, I, I realize this can be really, uh, that, there, that there are times where, you know, maybe you're reading like, um, I don't know how many of you guys have done this, but you, you, want, you try to read through the entire Bible in a year or something like that, you know? How many of you guys have heard of those kinds of studies? Read through the Bible entire year, yeah, so most of us have read. Anyone have, has any of you guys tried to do that before? Raise your hand. Just a few, yeah. It's hard, yeah? 
it's hard to do it. It's hard to stay on track. And it feels like, you know, when you open up Genesis, it's like, I can get through chapter one, chapter two, okay, you know, God creates the world. Chapter three, man sins. Chapter four, Cain murders his brother Abel. Ooh, that's gross. That's kind of cool. Uh, chapter five, you run into a genealogy and you're like, oh, and Adam begot Seth and Seth begot so-and-so and so-and-so. It's like, what is this? Like, this is ridiculous. And you get so bored. It's like reading some kind of excerpt out of your English lit class, okay? I understand that, all right? I get that. Well, reading the Bible can be a challenge. And so what I want to do is I want to try to solve some of that, some of that, those, these problems that are kind of festering in your mind a little bit, okay? And so I have three objectives tonight, all right? Here's my three objectives. Number one, I want to deflate some bad assumptions, okay? I want to deflate some bad assumptions. And actually, the majority of our time is going to be deflating bad assumptions tonight, all right? Uh, so just realize that up front. It feels like we're going to go nowhere, but that's intentional, okay? Uh, number two, I want to spend a little bit of time drawing up a better approach. And number three, I want to discuss some big-time applications, okay? So deflate some bad assumptions, draw up a better approach, and discuss some big-time applications. So let's, def let's deflate some bad assumptions, all right? What are some bad assumptions? Uh, I don't know if you realize this or not, but when you come to the Bible, you're already at a disadvantage. You're already at a disadvantage. It's like, really? I am? You are. You're coming with bad assumptions, and you don't even realize it probably. Uh, you aren't coming with a blank slate, and you're just like, come and let me learn from the Bible. That's not the way it's happening, okay? You're already coming to the Bible with some bad assumptions about it. In other words, you assume certain things to be true about your Bible reading, and they're not good assumptions, okay? So let me give you two bad assumptions up front, okay? There's a lot, but let's just talk about two so that you can be aware of them and know how to address them, okay? And my goal in bringing up these bad assumptions is not to discourage you. Um, I don't want you to walk away and think like, well, that's great. So like on top of making it being really hard to read my Bible, now I've got all these bad assumptions that I have to fix and everything like that. That's, you know, I, that's not my goal is to discourage you. My goal is to actually encourage you here, okay? Um, when you see that you have bad assumptions about reading the Bible, you'll know why you struggle to read it in the first place, and then you'll actually be able to solve it, okay? So let's start. Bad assumption number one. Here's the assumption. It's a good thing to open my Bible and read it. It's a good thing to open my Bible and read it. And as you're writing this down, the light might click on your brain and you might be thinking, well, wait a second, isn't that a good thing? Isn't that a good assumption that it's a good, it's a good thing to open up my Bible and read it? That's a good thing. Like, how is that a bad thing? And here's the thing. It is good, but it's not. Okay? It is good, but it's not. And before you hang me, hear me out, okay? This assumption is both true and false at the same time. It's both true and it's false. True, it can be a good thing to open up your Bible and to read it. False, it is not always a good thing that you open your Bible and read it. And you're like, how does that work? 
What we so often do when we open our Bibles is that we assume every time we read it that God is pleased with us. We assume that. That's embedded into our culture and that's embedded into you to one degree or another. You assume that just because you open up your Bible every morning and read it that God is happy with you. That's not true. That's a false assumption. That's a bad assumption. Uh, just because you open your Bible and read every morning doesn't mean God's pleased with you. There are many times Jesus railed against the Pharisees and he said, have you not read this scripture and this scripture and this scripture and this scripture? And Jesus is attacking them for reading the scriptures. Like, did you get that? Jesus is actually like going after people because they read their Bibles. It's like, why? Why would he do that? Is Jesus saying here that the Pharisees haven't, haven't read their Bibles? No. He's saying they have read their Bibles. And here's what he's saying. You Pharisees read your Bibles so much and God's still not happy with you. Here's the principle that we learned from that. You can read your Bible and still be in sin. You can read your Bible and still be in sin. It's possible. The Pharisees read their Bibles more than anyone else during the time they lived. And guess who Jesus went after the hardest? The Pharisees. Okay? And so, just because you read a passage out of the Bible, that doesn't mean that God's happy with you. But it also doesn't mean that you understand it. And that's why Jesus got so mad at the Pharisees, okay? Just because you read a chapter out of, let's say, the Gospel of Luke, it doesn't make you an expert on Luke automatically. You don't have automatic understanding of the Bible, okay? Uh, there are many times in the Gospel of Matthew where Jesus said to his disciples, you've heard that it was said, and then he would say what they, what they heard. And then he says, but I say to you, different. And then he'd say something different. For example, Matthew 5, 27, you guys are probably familiar with this passage, says, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with a lustful intent has, a, has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now here's the thing. The Bible says don't commit adultery. Okay? But Jesus says, it's, uh, he says, but everyone who looks at a woman with a lustful intent has already committed adultery with, it, with her in his heart. And so, even though the Bible has said, do not commit adultery, and everyone in Jesus' day knew that, be, knew that truth because they read their Old Testament, okay? So everyone knew the seventh commandment, right? That's what the seventh commandment is, right? We know the seventh commandment. We've, we've gone through the ten commandments, right? Yeah? Yeah? Okay, good. So the seventh commandment, do not commit adultery. Everyone knew that back then. They knew that. They knew that. But those same people thought, well, I can just lust after women in my heart and I still haven't broken the seventh commandment because all it says is, do not commit adultery. I'm not committing adultery. Jesus says, wrong. You misunderstood the seventh commandment. And because you lust in your heart, you are breaking the seventh commandment. And so here's the principle. You can read the Bible and still misunderstand what it's saying. You can read the Bible and still misunderstand what it's saying. You can read the Bible and still be in sin. Okay? 
Let me give you a common example that will be familiar to you, okay? Those were examples that were familiar to people back then. What about one uh, example for us today? John 3.16, okay? This is the easiest, most softball verse in the Bible, okay? What's John 3.16 say? Yeah, good, you guys know it. Fantastic, good. Uh, John 3.16. For God so loved the world. For God so loved the world. Let's just just start there for a moment, okay? Or let's, let's focus on that part. For God so loved the world. The word so is a very important word there. It's a very important word. For God so loved the world. What does it mean, and you guys tell me, what do you think it means, for God so loved the world? What does that mean? What does it mean that he so loved the world? What does that so mean? I'm sorry? He loved the world? world? In what way though? So much. Yeah, good. Yeah, he loved the world so, God loved the world so much that he gave his only son. Does that make sense? Okay. That's the typical way of understanding this verse, okay? So, but here's the problem with that. Here's the problem with that. That's not what the word so means. That's not what it means. It doesn't mean very much. It doesn't mean God so loved the world that he was willing to give up his son. That's not what it means. And if we have just a casual reading of that verse, we'll we'll totally misunderstand what it's saying, okay? What the word actually means is in the same way, in the same way. In other words, you could actually say it this way, for God loved the world in the same way. And the question is, in what same way? Like, what is he comparing it to? And what he's comparing it to is actually the verses before it, which talk about Moses lifting up a serpent in the wilderness. And the comparison is basically that God loves the world in the same way that God loved Israel in the Old Testament when he allowed snakes to come into their camp and to bite them. And so, really, the idea here is, John 3.16 is not telling you, how big God's love is. It's telling you what God's kind of love is like. What should you compare it to? It's a love that was willing to lift up his own son on a cross, just like we, they lifted up a snake on a pole, okay? So there's a comparison going on, right? And we could talk more about that later, but we don't have time to get into exactly everything that's going on there. But in other words, here's the point. If you're sloppy and you just read it, you might miss what it really means and you'll say something it doesn't mean, okay? So this is important. Um, the problem that we run into is that we come to the Bible and automatically assume we're, getting, we're going to get it right. That's what we assume. We, we assume we're going to understand it. But that's just not true. We're prone to getting it wrong. Uh, when you assume that you can come to the Bible and get everything right, you set yourself up for failure and you open the door to the likelihood of actually twisting what the Bible says. So you must come to the Bible and assume that you're going to get it wrong, not that you're going to get it right. That's the attitude that you need to approach it by. Okay. So it's not automatically a good thing to open up your Bible and to read it. Uh, it, it could actually be a bad thing. Um, 2 Timothy 2.15, another kind of familiar verse in the Bible, says, be diligent to present yourself as an approved worker, rightly dividing 
the word of truth, rightly dividing the word of truth. And I think that's a very, very important verse that instructs us on how to actually do, to, to actually read our Bibles. We need to be people who cut or, or divide the truth rightly. In other words, we need to cut it straight. We need to cut it straight. Um, in other words, have you ever tried to dig a hole before? Anyone tried to dig a hole? Yeah, you guys all have probably tried to dig some kind of hole, right? When you try to dig a hole and, uh, and you want to try to see something on the other side, do you, do you dig, a, dig a zigzag of a hole or do you dig a straight hole? You dig a, you dig a straight hole. If you want to see something on the other side, you got to dig a straight hole. That's what this word is talking about in 2 Timothy 2.15. When it says, rightly divide the word of truth, it says, draw or dig or drill a straight hole between you and, and the passage in the text so that you can clearly see what it says. If you try to twist the path, you're going to end up seeing something else. You're not going to see actually what the text says. And so we have to be very, very careful that we dig straight. We divide it rightly, okay? But here's what I want you to notice about this. He doesn't just say, divide the truth rightly. He says, strive, be diligent. And, and so the whole point here, why I'm bringing up this first assum- bad assumption, is, because, is that the reason why we, we run into this problem of assuming that, well, you know, I can just open it up and read it and get it right, the first time is that we actually don't work hard at it. We don't work hard at it. We're sloppy. We're lazy. But studying the Bible, reading your Bible takes hard work. It takes diligence. That's why it says be diligent to uh, make yourself or uh, present yourself approved before God. An unashamed worker rightly dividing the word of truth. You have to work hard at this. You've got to work hard. Okay. Uh, bad assumption number two, okay? It's about me. It's about me, okay? Reading my Bible is about me. And you may not think you think this, but you actually think this, okay? One of the big reasons you struggle with reading the Bible with enthusiasm is because you make it about you. You make it about you. If you come with an attitude of what's in it for me, you're going to be frustrated all the time. You are. Uh, because, and l- allow me to let you in on a little secret here, the Bible has almost nothing to do with you. Okay? The Bible has almost nothing to do with you. You're like, really? Yeah, it's true. Uh, have you ever found your name in the Bible before? <laughs> Your personal name, someone talking directly to you. Okay, my name's in the Bible, right? So, you know what I mean. The Bible's not about you. It's not. The Bible's about God. The Bible's about God. The Bible's about who God is and what he's all about. Does that sound familiar? It's kind of like our theme of the Ten Commandments, right? So, the reason why is because living out the Ten Commandments is really the same principle of what the Bible is all about. And so, the problem is here that Christians often get it backwards. They're asking themselves, what does this passage mean to me? 
How do I fit into this? How does this apply to me? And these questions aren't necessarily bad, but they aren't the most pressing questions you should have when you read your Bible, okay? You need to be asking yourself, what does this passage say about God? What does he want me to learn about himself, his plans, his purposes, so on and so forth? Uh, Me-centered Bible reading is very short-sighted. You need to take off uh, your 2D me glasses and put on your 3D God glasses and then watch the Bible open your mind to a world of beauty, okay? Your me glasses are too short-sighted. They're only 2D. If you want to look at the Bible in 3D, you need to put on God glasses, okay? And I think Matthew chapter 4 is a great example where Christians make a bad assumption of it's about me, okay? And so if you have your Bibles with you, and you should, open them up to Matthew chapter 4. And we'll spend just, spend just a minute here. I may not read the whole section just for the sake of time, but Matthew chapter 4, just the very first verse, verse 1. <clears throat> we'll start there. And you, you, you'll recognize this story once we start kind of getting into this for, for a minute, okay? Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. Then Jesus was taken up into the, into the wilderness by the Spirit to be tempted by the devil. And we had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. Uh, afterwards, he became hungry. And uh, the tempter came to him and said to him, If you are the Son of God, uh, say that these stones will become bread. But he, answers, but he answered and said, It is written, A man shall not bread, uh, live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds through the mouth of God. Okay, do you guys know this story? You familiar with this one? This is when Jesus was, uh, was in the wilderness and tempted by Satan himself. And, and Satan tempted him three times. And what did Jesus do all three times? He quoted scripture. Absolutely. Yeah, he quoted scripture. Very good. Uh, and so this is, this is that story that we see where Jesus quotes scripture when he is tempted. Now, if you have your, T, your, sorry, your, your 2D me glasses on at this moment, here's what you're going to do, okay? Matthew, you're, you're going to say, Matthew chapter 4 talks about Jesus being tempted by Satan. Well, what did Jesus do when he was tempted? He quoted scripture. Since I want to see what the passage has to do with me, I'm going to put myself into Jesus' shoes for a moment. And since Jesus quoted scripture when he was tempted, that means this passage is saying that I should quote scripture when I'm tempted. Now, that's what you would normally do if you have... 2D me glasses on, okay? Now, is it wrong to quote scripture when you're tempted? Yes or no? No, there's nothing wrong with it. It's actually a good thing to do. Uh, Jesus did it, and, and, so, and so it can't be wrong. And there are other passages, that, passages in the Bible that tell us that it's probably a good idea to do that. But what's the problem with that? What's the problem with saying that this passage 
is about me quoting scripture when I'm tempted. What do you think? I'm sorry? That's true. Yeah, you, you got to know scripture to be able to do it. That's true. Okay, it's out of context. Very good. Yeah, it's out of context. So what is this passage? The, the, the real big problem here is that's not what the passage is saying. That's not what the passage is saying. Uh, that's not what it's all about. This passage isn't about you and temptation. It's about Jesus, Jesus and temptation. Uh, and so there are no commands here that tell you what you should or should not do. So now put your God glasses on for a moment. If this passage is about God and his plans, his agenda, what he's all about, then what is God doing here? That's the question we need to ask ourselves. And this is where 2 Timothy 2.15 really comes into play because you must do the hard work of figuring this out. That what is this passage about? If it's not about me and how I should handle temptation, then what is it about? Well, when you do the hard work, you'll find that this event in Jesus' life looks very similar to other events that happen in the Bible. That's what you'll find. Think about it. Think about it for a moment. Jesus, Jesus, fast, Jesus was in the wilderness for 40 days. Who else was in the wilderness for a period of 40? Yeah. Yeah, the Israelites for 40 years. Is that a coincidence? No, it's not. Who also, do you guys know who also was fasted for 40 days and 40 nights? Anyone know? Any guesses? Someone else in the Bible fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. Just give me a guess. You'll probably get it right. Oh, Nehemiah? No, it wasn't Nehemiah. Yeah. Moses. That's right, Moses. Moses fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. Uh, do you know who else was driven into the wilderness? Anyone else? Not just Israel. Israel's in the wilderness, but there was someone else. There was one person. Uh, Job, not quite in the wilderness. Cain, not quite Cain. Who was, who was wandering around and someone was, who was, who was being hunted in the wilderness? David, David yeah, David, okay? And David was tempted in the wilderness too, okay? In, in a variety of ways. When you put all these pieces together, there's a lot of stories this kind of, kind of plugs back into, but when you put all these pieces together, this is what you get, okay? That Jesus is a one-of-a-kind, jack-of-all-trades for the entire nation of Israel, Okay? It's like, what? He is someone who turns every past failure in Israel's history into a success. And every moment of, of defeat into victory. And every disappointment into hope. That's what he's doing here. He is, a, he is the real king of Israel, and he's one that will never let his people down. That's the point in Matthew 4. Matthew 4 is not about you and how you deal with temptation. It's about Jesus as the ultimate king and how he has the perfect credentials to save humanity and transform the world. That's what it's about. He passed the test. He passed the test. We can't pass the test, but Jesus did. That's who he is. He qualifies as the best king and representative for you to die on a cross, to rise again, and to actually win salvation for you. He's the only one who can do it, and he's proving that in the wilderness. Okay? That's what it's about. It's kind of crazy, but that's what it's about. But if you had your me glasses on, you would never see this. You would never see this because you made the Bible about you, not about God. 
And so the joy you find in a text like Matthew 4 comes from the knowledge that Jesus is truly one of a kind. He's the right man for the job. Actually, better yet, he is the only man for the job. And that makes him great. That makes him unique. That makes him worthy of your praise and your adoration. The application that you pull away from this text could be, you could make it, you know, well, Jesus quoted scripture and was tempted, so I can do that. That's true, but that's, that's kind of secondary. The primary application you pull away is, wow, Jesus is amazing. He's unique, and he's worthy of my, of my life, of giving my life over to him. I want to live for him. He's amazing. So now that I've pointed you to some bad assumptions and dismantled them before your eyes, uh, let's turn our attention to how we can draw up a better approach here, okay, with our time remaining. And really, this approach can be broken down into three parts, okay? Three parts. And you might have heard these before. I don't know. It depends on how much you've studied how to study the Bible. Number one, observe. Number two, interpret. And number three, apply, okay? Number one, observe. Number two, interpret. And number three, apply. That's my three steps, okay? This is the better approach. Observe, interpret, apply. What does it mean to observe? Well, what do you do when you observe? You look at something, okay? That's all you're doing. You just look at the Bible. You just observe what's there. And what I would do when you observe, when you read the Bible, is I would kind of break this up into two parts. One, I would write down all my observations. Okay, I would write down all my observations. What do you see? Look for what the Bible says, not what you think it says. Just what is it saying? Okay? Look for what it says, not what you want it to say. So a lot of times we like we want to make the Bible say something that it's not saying. Just what is it saying? And look for what it says. Don't look immediately for what it means. What it means, okay? In other words, you know, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Don't look for exactly just what that means just yet. Just look at what it says, okay? So, so write down some observations, but also ask questions. Number two, ask questions. And, and so, like, I think a good example of that is Genesis chapter 1-1. You know, if you're going to go there and read it, and it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? Well, ask questions. What does in the beginning refer to? Does it refer to, you know, the beginning of the Bible? The beginning of time? What's it referring to, okay? Ask questions. Uh, what does the heavens refer to? Does it refer to heaven, heaven? Does it refer to space? Does it refer to the sky? Does it refer to this fire? I don't know. Like, what does it refer to, right? So ask questions. Um, so that, that's what I mean by observation. It's very simple. Just what does the passage say? What, what is it saying, okay? Number two, now you interpret. And interpret just means you're trying to figure out what it means, okay? Interpret. What does this mean? What does this mean? And this really admittedly is the hardest part of studying your Bible. It's the hardest part. Now you got to put all the pieces together. 
and you got to figure out all the answers to all your questions. It's like, okay, this is going to take a while and it's going to be really hard. Yeah, it can be hard. But it's very rewarding if you do the hard work. Uh, here's a couple of thoughts um, for how you can actually get answers to your questions, okay? Um, read the context. Read the context. In other words, if you're reading like a couple of verses, don't just sit in those couple of verses. Read around them. If you're reading a book, read the entire book from start to finish. That's really the best way to do it. Read the entire book. And don't just start in the middle and, you know, jump around. You know, you don't read books normally, you know, in the middle and then at the end and then come back to the beginning again. You read them from start to finish. Well, do that with the Bible. Read a book from start to finish. That's the way it was designed. Okay? Uh, read with passion. Read with passion. One of the best ways that I find uh, that I can understand a, a passage is if I read it with passion. In other words, if I try to plug myself in and, and think as if I am the one writing this right now. Okay? That's, that's one of the best ways. Read with passion. Uh, see if there are other times in Scripture this word or this event or this idea takes place. Um, if you're like, this is really confusing. I don't know what to think about this. Well, see if it took place somewhere else. And that can help you kind of understand why this sounds so funny. Because oftentimes if it sounds funny, it's coming from somewhere else in the Bible. Okay? And so the best way to do that is actually uh, if you have a cross-reference in your Bible, you get, does, uh, who knows what a cross-reference is? Anyone know what a cross-reference is? Yeah. Basil, what's a cross-reference? Yeah, a list of other references in the Bible that tie it to the same thing. Um, so a lot of Bibles have cross-references. If they do, use them. Use a cross-reference. You know, um, if you're if you're reading like you know James chapter you know one verse nineteen, yeah, or uh, verse twenty one, it talks about the implanted word, and it points you over to First Peter two two, which talks about long for the pure pure milk of the word. Go over there, look at it. There might be a connection there. Um, if you're in, let's use a bizarre one, okay? If you're in the book of Obadiah, a book you've probably never read in your life, okay? Read it. It's really small, okay? Um, but if you're in the book of Obadiah, and, and in verse 17, it says, you know, it talks about that there will be some who escape on my holy mountain. And you're like, hey, there's a cross-reference that goes to Joel, you know, chapter 3 or whatever, verse 5. Go there, you know. That's a good passage to go to. So um, the Bible is, um, it's kind of like uh, one big hashtag, Okay. It really is. Uh, you, you know, like when you click on a hashtag and it brings up all the posts, you know, that, that are connected to that hashtag, right? The Bible's like one big hashtag, right? There's like a bazillion hashtags and they're all like connecting different thoughts together. So use them. Go to all the different places because it's building for you a, a big theology about who God is and what he's all about, okay? Um, so use those kinds of cross-references. Use concordances. Concordances are just like um, a list of the different themes and all the different passages that talk about those themes. So it's like, where's the love of God? Well, it gives you like a list of passages where the love of God is. It's like, great, use it. How many of you guys have a John MacArthur study Bible? Anyone have that? Good, good, a couple of you guys. Good. Use it. Read the notes. If you're like, I don't know what this means, 
John MacArthur is very helpful, okay? Uh, nine out of ten times, he's going to be spot on, okay? So, and I say nine out of ten times because he's, he's brilliant, but he's not perfect. So, um, you know, I have some disagreements occasionally, but they're very rare. So, um, but that's, that's beside the point. He's probably right and I'm wrong, so just trust him. Um, there are some online tools that can be very helpful in your Bible study, okay? And I just looked some of these up today, and they are phenomenal, okay? So if you're like, I really need help. Uh, stepbible.org is fantastic. It is out of control. It is so good. Um, stepbible.org. It does searches. Like, you normally have to pay like $500 to buy a program that can help you do searches for different words in the Bible and where they show up. This one does pretty close to that for free. It's awesome. Stepbible.org. You can search like every time heaven and earth occur together in the Bible in Greek or in Hebrew or in English, okay? It's awesome. Like, it's great. If you're like, hey, does this, does these, like, these five words occur together anywhere else in the Bible? Yes. And you'll like have like, you know, 10 options it'll give you or something like that. And it'll spit it out with, for you in less than a second. So I highly recommend that one. Uh, there's another one called preceptaustin.org, uh, preceptaustin.org. It's P-R-E-C-E-P-T, precept, and then Austin, A-U-S-T-I-N.org. This one's really good because it gives you all kinds of resources, just tons of resources like dictionaries and commentaries and all kinds of stuff you could probably care less about normally, but it's, it's very helpful if, if you're really trying to search stuff, okay? And you want some help from other guys who have thought through things more carefully than you have. It's really good. And then another one that's really good is BibleWebApp.com. BibleWebApp.com. Uh, and that's really good because it, it shows you, if you're really nerdy like me, and you like to see the Greek New Testament, the original language that the New Testament was written in, and you want to like look up different words, you can actually do that there. It's pretty cool. Uh, and it's, I think it's pretty simple to use. So if, if you, don't need, you don't have to know Greek to start looking stuff up. It's pretty nice. So um, anyways, those are some things to help you interpret, okay? Last but not least, apply. Apply. I'm not going to say a lot here because I don't think I need to. If you do your homework and do good observations, good interpretation, your application is going to come naturally. It's gonna, you're going to know what the text says. You're going to know what the Bible says. And it's going to be easy to apply, okay? So... Um, so actually, I'm really not going to say much more than that, about that. Uh, last but not least, let me discuss really quickly some better applications, okay? Some better applications. So bottom line here, reading your Bible takes hard work and it takes faithfulness. Uh, you must be persistent. You must be diligent with it. But when you do it right, you'll have some of the most rewarding times of your life. You really will. And so let me give you just a couple of things that you can do to really begin studying the Bible well, okay? Number one, set aside a time daily. It's very simple, but set aside a time daily. You know, maybe you already have one. Great. Perfect. If you don't have one, though, set, set aside a time. Uh, make that your time to study the Bible and make sure nothing else gets in the way. This is my time to study, to read the Bible. 
Uh, identify a book or plan you want to go through. Um, right now I'm reading through the Bible. Um, and I'm using my own kind of Bible reading program. Like I'm actually, I'm actually in the process of creating my own right now. So, um, and, and so that's what I'm, I'm doing. And then I'm also reading the book of Matthew. So in the mornings I'll read, I'll do my Bible reading for the entire Bible. Uh, and then I'll do, um, I'll read Matthew in the evenings. Okay. That's what I'm doing. Create a plan. Have a, have an agenda in mind. Don't just like come and be like, okay, I'm going to open my Bible and just start reading it somewhere, you know, and be like, hey, this is cool. You know, uh, don't do that. Uh, have a plan. Read a book or, or, uh, or read a theme of some type. Okay. And something that can really help you to kind of get your thoughts kind of going about this. I don't know how, if you have a plan or not at this particular moment, but I'm going to start passing these around. Um, here. These are <clears throat> Pastor Steve's Bible study tips, okay? Things that you can do to study the Bible. And this isn't like you have to do all of these necessarily. That's not the whole point of it. The point is like, do something. Do one of these. Or mix it up and do a couple of them or something like that. I don't know. But just do something. And it gives you some ideas of what to do, okay? And I'm not going to read through all these or not, but just let me just put on a couple of these. Um, memorize scripture. Memorize scripture. That can be a really good thing to do. Pick a book to study one verse at a time. I did that with the book of First Peter in the last couple of years. I did uh, James before. Um, I've done Philippians. Um, that's, a, that's a good thing to do. Learn to observe when you're studying. Uh, we talked about that. Uh, find and under, number 17 says, find and understand verses pertaining to your place or stage in life. Uh, a good book for your age right now to study, book of Proverbs or the book of Ecclesiastes. Really good. Really good. The book of Proverbs or the book of Ecclesiastes. Uh, that's really helpful for you guys at your age. Uh, there's other good ones. Book of Ephesians good. Any gospel's good, but I like those. Uh, divide your priorities in, in the word between quantity and quality. In other words, don't just read like massive amounts of scripture like really fast and then don't dive into the depths, okay? Uh, do both. And don't, don't read like deeply like one word at a time. Like every day I'm just like, I'm just going to look at this one word. One word. God. Yeah, the. Uh. Of. No, don't, don't do that. And then, like, miss, like, read large chunks and then read small as well. Um, there's a principle that someone taught me in Bible study that was very helpful for me. The way to think about Bible study is this. If you're going to understand the Bible in the best possible way, start broad, slowly zoom in down to the details, and then pull back out and put all those details into their proper place. Okay? So it's like an hourglass shape, okay? Start big, go small, and then go big again, okay? That's the best way to do it. It really is. Um, and uh, we could talk more about that, but we don't have time. So, But anyways, there's a lot of good things to do here. So identify a good plan, uh, and then use the approach we talked about. Observe, you know, interpret, apply, and make sure above all else that you pray you pray. Uh, Bible study is not just about 
learning a bunch of facts just to sit in your brain. Those facts need to be doing something. And one of the best ways to make those facts become real in your heart is to pray. Pray before you read. Pray after you read. Think about those things. Meditate on what you read. Uh, and let it be a song in your heart to the Lord. That's, that's, that's a really good thing to do. So, those, to, really, to really live unstained in this life, the subject we've been talking about, it all actually begins with how you read your Bible. It all begins there. Make sure you are a person of the Word. This isn't just for someone like me who's a pastor. This is for you. You need to become an expert in the Word of God. You're like, well, it's not my job. Yes, it is your job. Absolutely, it's your job. I just get to work with it like 40 hours a week, you know, or 50 hours or however long it takes me, okay? But it's your job. And I'm not here to discourage you with that. I'm here just to say, be diligent with it. Be consistent with it. Be faithful with it. You know, if you're like, well, I just don't have a lot of time. Well, at least take what little time you have every day and work at it little by little. Even just 15 minutes, just just nail it. And, and, and take those 15 minutes and, and just invest in that time. You know, if you have more time, take more time. Uh, the more time, the better. But even if you have just a little bit, take a little bit. So this is important. This is something you need to own uh, because we all need to own it. We all need to be people who are rightly dividing the word of truth, okay? Uh, close with me in prayer. Father, we thank you so much for the Word of God that you've actually revealed yourself in the pages of Scripture. And we can know you, and we can know what this life's about. And I pray, Father, that we will spend our time faithfully studying what you, will, what you want us to know in your Word. Lord, bless our time now as we uh, dive into some discussion in small groups. May we, be, um, may we honor you with, with our words and, and with our thoughts, and may we come to some great convictions and great conclusions about what we need to be doing in our lives with regard to your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.